Hello, everybody, and welcome once again uh, to our Network Classics edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. And we've got a good one this week. This is a really, really great episode of WWF Monday Night Raw from January 25th, 1993. Now, this was in the early days of Raw, and uh, they were putting out some uh, you know, great talent out there. They were trying to get people to watch, of course. And uh, as I've talked about before, you know, this was kind of a great period for the WWF slash WWE. Because prior to this, uh, a lot of the programming that they put out there that you could catch on television uh, when it didn't cost you anything was, uh, you know, to watch uh, wrestling uh, superstars or, uh, or, or challenge, you know, uh, WWF superstars or challenge. But, uh, you know, when they started Monday Night Raw and then as they, you know, moved in with some of the other programming, uh, and especially when they got into the Monday Night Wars, you know, they realized that they had to put good matches out there to get people to watch and stay ahead in the, in the race. So this was, uh, you know, this is where you'd actually get to see big-time superstars going up uh, against each other on, uh, on television. And we would, of course, see that at Saturday night's main event. But this uh, was, you know, becoming, you know, it was going to, well, it would become a very, very popular uh, platform for the WWF at the time. So this was, uh, as I mentioned early on, uh, the episode from Monday Night Raw, January 25th, 1993. Uh, they actually taped this a week before uh, at the 18th, on January 18th, 1993, because uh, they were shooting televisions, you know, so they'd be in another part of the country, and they shot these episodes of Monday Night Raw at the Manhattan Center in, uh, in New York City. So uh, they started running into problems. They couldn't air them live. But, you know, people really, for the most part, uh, couldn't tell, didn't know that. And they were able to still have that, uh, as we used to call, live to tape. So it was uh, a live show that was just put on tape and then uh, aired later. And that happened a lot of times. So that's what they did with a lot of this programming. But um, a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in this one. And as I've mentioned, you know, I want to credit uh, the folks who we get a lot of these notes. Uh, we get a lot of this information from blogofdoom.com. Uh, you know, you can check them out at prowrestling.net. And then also, um, and I'm going to start adding his, uh, his input more and more when we do these because he is just a, a wealth of information on uh, the WWF and the WWE. And a longtime listener of Primetime with Sean Mooney, David Porty. And, uh, you know, he's been uh, checking out these episodes and I've been hearing him, uh, hearing from him like post. And I was thinking, well, because he, you know, corrects me on a lot of stuff or tells me this was going on. You could have mentioned this. So I'm like, well, why the hell don't I talk to him before I do these episodes so that he can, uh, you know, add, add, add more color, add, you know, the palette, add more, put more paint on that palette. You're going to have a better uh, understanding, a better feeling for what was happening in the World Wrestling Federation at the time. So um, as long as David wants to join us, man, I, will, I, I welcome his, his insight. And he had a lot uh, on this episode, as uh, you, will, you will hear as we go on. And I want to lay the background. You know, I always like to uh, get the, the setup, the behind the scenes, before we even watch the episode. And in this particular episode, uh, you know, we had seen this uh, development where, you know, uh, Ric Flair uh, was... Uh, you know, with Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect was in his corner, and I, I don't think they, you know, he wasn't necessarily a manager. I can't remember 
what they, they what they called him. He was kind of his uh, you know director or uh, you know his advisor. I think that's kind of like how they they went with it. And as uh, David mentioned to me last time, and I had been talking about that, you know, why Perfect was in Flair's corner, and I was questioning, you know, why did they pair those two up? Um, and we'll get a little more background on that in this episode. But Mr. Perfect had, uh, you know, suffered a number of injuries, and uh, David had pointed out that uh, he had uh, the Lloyds of London uh, insurance policy that uh, I don't know if he had received the payout or they had agreed that they were going to pay him. I, I'm not quite sure. But uh, this was supposed to be winding down his career, that Kurt was not going to be uh, going in the ring uh, anymore. But as we saw that that would change. And uh, so uh, we'll see what happens uh, with, uh, you know, what, what, what goes on with it, uh, with those two in this matchup. So uh, it's it's going to be cool to uh, hear all about this as we get into it, and uh, it, 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 I'm going to go right to David's notes with this, and uh, he says, you know, that's where Ric Flair wrestled Mr. Perfect. Now, they had, you know, had kind of a, a blow-off. Uh, they had, uh, you know, uh, parted ways and uh, moved this along rather quickly because this is a period when Vince was really trying to uh, make a, a big change with his roster. He felt a lot of these guys that uh, he had depended on for years were losing their luster. Their star was losing their luster. And, um, you know, uh, so uh, he was kind of phasing these guys out. And, and Randy Savage, of course, felt that. Uh, that he had uh, put him doing commentary as he was doing here on Raw. And uh, Ric Flair kind of felt the same way. I and mean, Vince, you know, was, do, was doing that to him. Uh, as David points out in here that... Um, that uh, he felt uh, or or uh, had gotten word that you know that uh, Vince was going to reduce his duties as a star with the company and maybe try and put him in a behind the scenes position. Um, and uh, apparently they had an agreement that if Rick was unhappy in his situation, he could leave. And it uh, it sounds as though that's uh, exactly what he was doing here. Um, and uh, the other side of this is that uh, Bill Watts. In uh, 1992, uh, David writes here, had started airing old Ric Flair matches on their uh, their shows on the WCW Power Hour and sometimes on uh, WCW Main Event. They would air a, a, an old match, a classic match involving Rick, and they were actually, uh, uh, according to his notes here, were getting higher ratings than anything else that the current product was offering. <laughs> so, man... Uh, it must have not been great product, but when you're reaching back into the well, as we've seen the WWE uh, do many times along the way, when uh, the current product isn't helping them out as much as they'd like to, they bring back, they go old school on you. And uh, Bill Watts had persuaded the folks with the WCW that, hey, we've got uh, we got to get Ric Flair back here and uh, you know make him a, a lucrative offer to make that happen. And so, as I mentioned. Uh, Apparently, Vince and Ric Flair had this agreement, and uh, uh, I guess Ric Flair at the time was 43. Now, um, I guess at the time that may have seemed ancient, but <laughs> as we've seen since, Undertaker, uh, that uh, you know that doesn't necessarily mean that you're 43 that uh, your your career is over by any stretch of the imagination here. But um, as I said, Vince was feeling at this point that some of his superstars were not. Uh, you know, maybe at the time we're still drawing, but he felt that, 
or there may have been a little bit of a drop off. And so he's like, I got to get in front of this. And he was going to start bringing in people uh, like Lex Luger and Yokozuna and depend on these guys. And Brett, Brett, of course, as we would see, would become the champion and, and, and very successfully so, uh, helped carry the company there in some really, really rough times. But, uh, you know, people like Randy Savage and Ric Flair and many, many others who would uh, head south uh, probably felt that, that uh, heat from Vince that he wasn't going to use them. And, and it was all about, that's how they made their money. You know, I mean, it was where you were on that card was how much you were going to be taken home. And when he started reducing that, then you were, you were in big trouble. So uh, Rick had apparently gone to Vince and said, hey, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not happy or, or I've got another business opportunity here and I think I'm going to take it. And uh, so, you know, I don't know to the relief of Vince or how he felt about it, but uh, there was an agreement there. And so they came up with this exit for him where he would take on Mr. Perfect and they'd have this loser leaves the WWF match. And it was going to happen on, uh, on Raw. And so uh, that's what happens in this episode, the two meet. And it's a, a relatively long match to have on, on television when you've got an hour. I think they devoted about 20 minutes to this match coming up between the two. And of course, they were tremendous performers in the ring. It wasn't like there was going to be any uh, lull in uh, excitement. But to devote that much time to a match, that's, uh, that was kind of, that was very unusual at the time for television. You know, a lot of these matches uh, that we would see, especially on Superstars and Challenge, might be two minutes long. And that was pretty much just to get the guys over and, uh, and promote whatever storyline that they were involved in. So uh, that's, uh, that was something that was, you know, uh, that was going on at the time. And, and, and Rick was on his way out. Now, uh, Apparently, and like David mentions in here, I, I uh, think that there was uh, some kind of non-compete that he couldn't go down to the WCW right away and go to work. So he would do, uh, you know, these these promos. He would cut these promos and build it up. And I don't know how long. It couldn't have been very long because it wasn't long before he was back in action. And also he had to fulfill some dates uh, after that. So that, uh, you know, that uh, I think he had to go over to Europe and, and do some uh, performances over there. But uh, that's what we got going on as far as the, the big main event in this. And it's uh, the last match of the, the evening. But if you also recall, we did this episode before. They had uh, worked this angle. And, uh, you know, they've got uh, Vince McMahon and Randy Savage, along with Rob Bartlett as our uh, three-man team, which... You know, having three guys in the booth was, at that time, kind of unusual for the WWF. And they'd worked this angle the week before where uh, Repo Man uh, had come out and blasted Randy from behind and then stolen his hat. So <laughs> we're working a whole angle here over a cowboy hat. Uh, not a very nice and fancy one and with the uh, bangles and, you know, and sparkly things all over it. But uh, it was about a hat. And so they carry that on in this, this episode, and it even opens, once again, with me freezing my ass off out in front of the, the uh, Manhattan Center uh, as I open it. The cold open, remember? You guys should know what a cold open is at this point. The cold open is where we don't, uh, you don't open with the show animation and music. You just go straight to uh, an interview or whatever, and I'm back out front of the Manhattan Center uh, in my big, uh, my big coat, 
that I think I still have in a closet somewhere, that, that big trench coat. I love that thing, and it was uh, very warm. But anyway, I digress. And I'm, I'm back out front freezing out there, and Repo Man drives up, someone driving him, of course, in a tow truck. And he hops out and does a quick promo with me and then runs into the building to the amazement and, uh, and uh, startlement. I don't know if that's even a word, but people are just kind of like looking like, what the hell is going on? Because you got people, we had people, you know, just, just walking by and they see this craziness out there. And of course, uh, we had a lot of, of fans that would just show up who couldn't get into the building, who didn't have tickets, but they just wanted to, to be there to see the guys. So, uh, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> That's one little funny thing you'll see as we come up is that uh, Barry uh, jumps out and uh, as he's talking, like this big spittle thing comes out of his mouth and uh, the true professional he is, he keeps going and uh, and cuts that promo before he runs off into the building. Uh, also in this episode, uh, we've got, um, uh, let's see, uh, we've got uh, Kamala is in this 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 episode, and uh, this is if you remember at at the time. Um, let's see, I want to get to this so we got it right. Okay, so I mentioned that we got the the Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Repo Man, and then we get Kamala as I mentioned. Now he has been turned babyface in this uh, at this point in time in the WWF, and Slick, who has also become uh, uh, a babyface, kind of the Reverend Slick, who's uh, Onto the gone to the light side um, uh, in a matchup against the Brooklyn Brawler, which is kind of a I don't know I just I, I I don't know where the Brawler was at this point I think he was kind of a super jobber again uh, but with a gimmick and um, it, it, prior to this you know they had uh, Harvey Whippleman was his manager and uh, his handler is Kimchi. And if you remember who Kimchi was, Kimchi was the Brooklyn Brawl, which is kind of a side note here because now that he's with Slick, uh, there's no need for Kimchi, but uh, nobody ever knew supposedly who that was under the mask, and it was uh, Steve Lombardi. But uh, that's just a, a, another little uh, fun little footnote to some of these matchups. But we see uh, Kamala taking on the Brooklyn Brawler, and... Uh, uh, according to uh, the time, uh, you know, Kamala was promised by Vince that uh, he was really going to be putting him over as a baby face. And uh, Kamala said that never really happened. And he was gone uh, shortly after. So uh, that wasn't too much uh, fun for him. I don't think he enjoyed uh, that gimmick. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think at the time, um, I, I don't know, I can't remember they were setting up another match, but we'll, we'll get into that um as well, and I think it was just an opportunity to get Kamala out there because uh, they wanted to do, uh, I guess they hype a match with Kamala taking on kimchi. So, <laughs> like, wow, can't wait for that one. So you could tell where they were at this point uh, with with Kamala because it was a lot more interesting when you had uh, when you had uh, you know Whippleman and then and then uh, uh, kimchi and they're and they're abusing. Uh, Kamala, like he's uh, some kind of uh, zoo animal or something, some kind of uh, you know safari animal that they're abusing, and uh, so that was that was going on. Then I don't think you you certainly probably could get could couldn't get away with that these days, but back then uh, it was kind of the wild west, and they could do whatever the hell they wanted, and they did. So uh, that's that's kind of the background on this. I hope that uh, 
that uh, gives you uh, uh, you know some idea of what's happening. I will continue to add more notes through this as we go through it. But I wanted to you know set the stage, uh, so to speak. And uh, this is '93, and we know that uh, things aren't going great right now for the World Wrestling Federation, and it would get worse uh, before they got better, which of course they would. But it was a very very interesting time in the uh, in the World Wrestling Federation, to say the least. So, I hope that uh, you've used this opportunity, or maybe you did before, to uh, queue up this, this episode of Monday Night Raw, January 25th, 1993. Uh, if you didn't, uh, it's pretty easy to do. You go to uh, the WWE Network, go to uh, InRing, and then, you know, they have the, uh, the features, uh, they have the episodes, and you go to Raw, and then it'll say on their latest and you pull that drop down and you can get to 1993. It's got every year of Raw. And then once you get there, then you just scroll down until you find the episode. That's January 25th, 1993, one of the very, very early episodes. And uh, we, will, we will go from there. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to pause right now and then we'll come back and we will get to it. So go ahead and pause. I'll wait. I'll be right here. And then we'll watch... This great episode, WWF Monday Night Raw, January 25th, 1993, and pause. All right, and we are back. Yes, indeedy. So I am assuming that everybody is ready to go with this episode. As I mentioned, we start with a cold open. You should be queued to 00000, six zeros there, and I'll count us down, three, two, one, and then we'll do the uh, the old play, okay? So are you ready? All right, here we go. Three, two, one, play. And we open with the New York City shot. Here we go. And there he is. Remember that I told you about the uh, the spittle? Watch for it. Told the uh, repo man, you're a little late. And he says, no, what are you talking about? He's going to repossess his career. There, there's a little spill. See, it comes out. Mm. A little shiny and off he goes. And people are like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> And we go right into the open. This is a great open, though. I really, I really did like this one. Remember, this is 1993, guys. This is awesome, right? Here we go. Drops the elbow. And, yeah, Monday Night Raw. And uh, we got the, the card girls in the ring. Ring girls. Little touch, and we got Bobby Heenan, who was allowed back in the building. Rob Bartlett always liked the, the he had the chewing gum gimmick, which I couldn't do that. I wouldn't be able to talk. I wonder if he ever lost that gum. You know, spit it out while he was talking. Oh, and Bobby Heenan. Very upset. 
So obviously things not going well with Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect. You know, they were very close. So Ric Flair changed all that. And we've got the Repo Man heading to the ring. He's got the uh, very, uh, let's see, noticeable hat. Is that one word to describe it as? Randy Savage, man, he really did know how to accessorize, didn't he? Uh, all of those outfits that he had, just uh, tremendous. And uh, he put a lot of thought into that. He had a, a designer that would, uh, you know, design all those outfits. And, uh, you know, he went from a crown and, you know, the stuff was kind of disappearing on top there. So he always wanted to have something up there uh, on, on, the, on top. And Randy Savage gets right to it, comes blasting, flies into the ring, and takes on the Macho Man. And you know, at a good point here I, uh, that, uh, that I believe David made here in his notes that you know it was kind of interesting that they would put Randy into the situation where you've got, and we talked about Repo Man. The, uh, he, Barry Darso had been part of Demolition. And this was not his greatest gimmick. But, I mean, it's great that he kept working. Barry was just a great, great hand, as they say. But this was more of a mid-carter gimmick that uh, he would ride for a while. Literally, as Repo Man. But as, as we talked about, that, uh, you know, that uh, you've got uh, these superstars that Vince is starting to phase out. And he wanted, you know, Randy was supposed to move to Stanford and was going to be kind of a uh, behind-the-scenes guy. He was going to do play-by-play and then also be part of the uh, the booking team. And that never really ever happened. And then on top of all that, um, you know, they would still depend on Randy. It was one of these things where somebody would get hurt and they would need somebody to go in and save the day. And this happened many, many times with Randy. So, and this didn't, didn't uh, last very long as he takes on, uh, you know, Repo Man. Uh, tries to get backstage. Randy chases him down. So... This was, I can't, this match, let me see. Yeah, this was a, you know, this was pretty long for Raw, too. This was a 12-minute match. And these guys, you know, they're both great, great workers. They really are, you know. And uh, as I said, it just wasn't, it was just kind of this strange gimmick they came up with for Barry, and it, it just never really took off. As, as I said, it's a, it's more of a you know mid Carter at best in many cases as it, especially even worse as it wound down, but it never really got anywhere with this. But these guys are both man. Oh that yeah. See they, they missed on that first shot and then of course them being the professionals they are they, they finish it off so because it wasn't even a block you know. Uh, Randy, boy, could he sell. Hard into the steel steps. Then Hebner. Trying to get things under control here, but come on, it's not going to happen. 
Randy's shoulder hard into that ring post. As I said, that this episode was uh, taped the 18th because the week later, that Monday, they would be they would tape on uh, Monday and Tuesdays every three weeks, and this fell over, fell into a you know an episode where they would be, I believe, in Texas taping. So throughout this, you got Bobby uh, bitching about perfect. And the upcoming match, the big main event in this, Ric Flair facing Mr. Perfect, loser leaves the World Wrestling Federation. I always got a kick out of, and we'll be coming up, but I always got a kick that they would, you know, this is one of the, they did it in Saturday night's main event, but where they would take a break during the match. (laughs) I just got to tell people, folks, nothing will happen for the next two and a half minutes, so just relax, we'll come back to all the action. (laughs) Like... You couldn't do that during a boxing match, right? So, you know, they had, uh, you know, the microphones right near ringside so you could hear a lot of the audio. As they they started uh, uh, adding more and more little to extra, uh, you know, ideas for these shows that they would put in. Featured like a you know microphones and camera angles, a little different, kind of give you that feel that you're right inside the ring. And you know, do you guys notice that the um, the commentary seems a little canned, doesn't it? So I, I'm wondering uh, they probably did. The uh, commentary on this later. It sounds like they're in a booth. And that would have been easy for them to do because Bobby was up at the TV studios every three weeks uh, for, you know, the primetime tapings and whatever else and the challenge voiceovers. And Rob lived down in the New York City area, so they could bring him up to Stanford pretty easily. So that wouldn't have been unusual, especially, like I said, this wasn't something that aired live. They didn't have to be uh, there at ringside. So as this thing rolls on. And of course, we got a plug. We got uh, Gene coming up. He's going to ah uh, uh, yes, his uh, mm-hmm. Bobby, a little plug for for Gene. Now you know uh, I mentioned uh, before Vince bringing in new talent or trying to uh, kind of phase out some of these older guys. And Lex Luger was somebody that they were uh, start, you know, going to plug. But if you'll remember, Lex was still under contract uh, with the WCW, and he couldn't, he couldn't wrestle for the WWF for a period of time. So Vince's grand idea, because, you know, that uh, Lex was such a, physical specimen specimen that he would 
he would instead uh, have him be part of WBF and help use him to help kind of uh, do that cross promotion in a sense of wrestling and bodybuilding. And so they had him do several appearances for WBF to, you know, plug Ico Pro. You see there back in the corner, that was what was a big part of what was happening in promotions. And that's uh, that's something that they did. Uh, you know, that was a big part of what was happening as Vince tried to conquer the world of bodybuilding. That didn't work out so well, did it? Uh, but the big money was in supplements, and that's what Ico Pro was. And, of course, the WBF. World Bodybuilding Federation. And uh, that's uh, Randy Savage with that, you know, his outfits. You guys kind of noticed that uh, Randy's a little not real cut. And... Uh, this is where the edict had gone out, you know, that people had to get off the juice. Now, I'm not saying anything is necessarily to implicate uh, Randy, but he he started wearing these uh, shirts that would go with his outfits because all, be, all before he would always be without, you know. But you saw this with a lot of the boys uh, that, uh, you know, they couldn't do the... Um, what they were doing before, I'll say. Uh, and, and so it was noticeable. Randy comes off the top rope, the big elbow, and that will do it for the repossessor. Repo man. So I would say that uh, Randy's probably going to get his hat back. What do you think? Yeah. And just sends him right out of the ring. He wants to finish him. And the guys are saying, no, you don't, don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah, so Vince, you can hear, you hear the voice. And then, and then he goes, gets the hat back. This entire thing was over a hat, folks. There he goes. Doesn't match the outfit, but hey, I was kind of surprised. Maybe he wouldn't didn't wear it. Wouldn't have worn the other one because you know to finish the ensemble here. But he didn't. So <laughs> he's got his hat back. Okay, a quick time out here as uh, we uh, take a break after the Macho Man Randy Savage has his hat back and. We come out uh, with a tight shot of the uh, ring card person, I guess that's the correct way to say, as uh, Bobby Heenan, in a very sexist way, blows a kiss to her. Okay, as we move on, <laughs> just, <laughs> you gotta love it, right? You just gotta love it. You can't make it up. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as Bobby, yeah, there you go, okay. And uh, right into that promo. As I mentioned, that uh, Bret Hart is uh, part of this. Caesar's Palace, of course, it's going to be a fantastic event of all time. Yes, the greatest event of all time in Vegas. 
And Vince, at the peak of excitement. Okay, after a brief time out, we're back at it. Is uh, We have the ring card person uh, there uh, doing her thing. And uh, Bobby Heenan uh, being very sexist there and blowing a kiss to her as well. All right, no chance uh, <laughs> to further elaborate on that. Why don't we just get to the WrestleMania promo that's uh, advertising WrestleMania taking place at Caesars Palace. And uh, you folks who know your history know I was not there. I left uh, before that event, so I didn't have to wear a toga. Some people have asked me, is that why you left the WWE? Yes, that's exactly it. That's why I left. No, (laughs) that's not true. There was a lot of other things going on, but we've gotten into that. Uh, We're here not to talk about uh, why, uh, when, or where, but uh, WrestleMania taking place. That's WrestleMania 9. That was uh, Jim Ross's first uh, event, though. He was there, and then Todd Pettengill as well. All right. We just saw Randy Savage get his hat back. And now we are getting to the, the filler of the evening. And there's a lot to fill right there. Kamala. As uh, Rob Bartlett said, that's that Nell Carter. Yeah, that was... Uh, that's why he had his problems on that show, as he has mentioned when we... <laughs> Uh, he lasted for a while, though, and and to his credit, you know, Rob Bartlett's a very, very funny human being. He really is. Uh, but anyway, uh, getting back to this matchup, you got the Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Lombardi, uh, jobber to the stars, one of the best enhancement talents uh, to ever step into the ring as uh, they got him uh, up against Kamala here. And Kamala gives a big slam there. But uh, you folks that are in the know... Uh, Member Kimchi, which was the abuser of Kamala, was uh, also happened to be uh, AKA uh, Steve Lombardi, AKA Brooklyn Brawler. And this actually was to set up, I think, some matches that were going to take place on the road, a little storyline that uh, Kimchi would face Kamala. But of course, We've got Slick at ringside now. He's managing Kamala, who's stepped in and saved Kamala from those very, very nasty uh, kimchi and also Harvey Whippleman. And Slick is a babyface at this point. He's basically Reverend Slick. And that didn't go so well for him either. And they had turned now Kamala's babyface. It's not like he had to change his character. He never said much. But they made him a baby face. And as it goes, that um, according to Kamala and those uh, who were also in the know, Kamala had been promised, as he says, uh, that he was really going to get a big push as a baby face. But that wasn't meant to be either because uh, he, he did not uh, last much longer in the WWF here. This was a kind of a changing of the guard. A lot of uh, talent that had been around a while, they were kind of easing them out. A lot of them heading south down to the WCW. And the brawler doing a job here for Kamala. Into the ropes. Big boot to the chest. Down goes Lombardi again. And uh, 
Of course, Kamala definitely dominating this matchup. And Slick, uh, we had him on a few weeks back. And uh, not quite sure what Kamala's trying to do here. Maybe he's looking for a submission? I, I don't know. But, you, get, you know, you listen to the commentary here. Bobby was really funny. So uh, maybe after you listen to this uh, with me babbling on, you might want to go back and listen to a little bit of Bobby's classics. And the brawler hard, uh, shoulder hard into the ring post there. Big splash by Kamala. Well, that's not the way you do it. Oh, okay, I'll do it again. Still rolling him. No, no, Slick trying to explain him. Remember, remember how you do it? The other way. The <laughs> there we go. No, he lifts the shoulder himself. Okay, count of three. That will give it to Kamala, and I don't think he still understands. He just won. Uh, Slick now steps into the ring. There you go. Oh, is that possible? And uh, Slicks are also adjusting to be in a baby face. It never quite he worked for him either. Yeah, come on. We all know that. He was a great heel. All right. Vince plays stick man for this one. I think he liked uh, being able to get back into doing these kind of interviews. Kind of took him back to the days when he was starting out with his dad. It come a long way at this point, wouldn't you say? Ah, oh, the slickster. He could do a good promo. See, now he gets to be a babyface. Yeah. And, and, and Slick talked about when, in, in, during the podcast about, uh, you know, there was some shoot to him becoming a babyface and being able to spread the word. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I found it really interesting that he says that he still made it home every Sunday to preach to his flock back in Texas and that Vince uh, made that happen. So, uh, you know, that was pretty cool. And, and uh, Slick always very serious about what he did and at the pulpit. And that was always his priority. But he also talks about what this uh, job cost him family-wise. Uh, mentioning like when he was traveling and uh, one time he was, you know, they were going cross country and they were doing stuff in Europe and he was supposed to see his kids for a couple of hours at, uh, I think, Dallas DFW. And Mean Jean, looking great. Got that Florida tan. Uh, and uh, but Slick talking about how he was going to see his kids for a couple of hours. They were flying between the coasts after they'd come back from a tour and uh, they was going to see him for a couple of hours and the flight was late and he literally got to see all of his kids and he had a bunch of them. I think he said he had eight children, something like that, but he got to see them between terminals as they ran to the next place to catch the flight. So it uh, was a big price that they paid. 
Royal Rumble yesterday in Sacramento. Now, uh, this was a lot coming off that. I talked about Lex Luger was a part of this uh, uh, coming into the WWF. And uh, Gene here recapping that Royal Rumble 93, which was a a very popular pay-per-view that they had all the superstars of the day involved in. It was a way to really showcase everybody. And uh, they could do a lot with this, having a major prize or whatever. So And uh, you have to wonder when they taped this because uh, I know I got a question and uh, we'll talk talked about in the uh, Ask Mooney Anything this week about uh, knowing storylines. And they pretty much kept us out of uh, the know just because the fewer people knew the, you know, not that they were paranoid about the dirt sheets or anything like that. It just was, it was on a need-to-know basis. A lot of times I didn't need to know. I enjoyed being surprised as anybody else when they played them out. But there were times when we did have to know things because we were promoting them. So... Nobody was better at this than Gene, really. Yeah. You can see, I mean, just how great he was with his delivery. Nobody was better than Gene Okerlund. The Royal Rumble Report post at the post. <laughs> oh, did you notice that we didn't show any video either because we wanted you to buy the Coliseum. And uh, we got to show off the ring card uh, person again. Look at Ico Pro. Yeah. Integrated conditioning program. Uh, Translated supplements mean big money. Oh, here we go. How cool is this seeing Macho Man? Right here comes a snap. <laughs> Snapping that Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. That made uh, Randy Savage a lot of money. And he took that deal down south with him when he went down to the WCW. So, ended up okay. Here's Ric Flair. Uh, not a real happy Ric Flair at the time. As I set up prior to uh, us watching this, uh, Rick was uh, on his way out the door when uh, he appeared here at the Manhattan Center. Bobby Heenan had stepped in here. Yeah. One of his uh, sequin jacket. But this was uh, the last televised match, if uh, I'm correct, that uh, he would appear in uh, for the WWF. One of his uh, famed robes. That he wore. But as I was saying. uh, Before we rolled this. And in comes Mr. Perfect. Who was. uh, You know. Understandably would have had some ring rust. He hadn't been. In the ring much at all. And uh, here he's back in action. And they're going to go for a while here too. This match is. Uh. I think officially about 18-something minutes long, but this whole thing, this segment, is about 20, which is a long time for to devote to one match for Raw at the time. They usually like to get in a lot more. They would have one match that would go, I don't know, 12, 14 minutes maybe. 
But you got uh, two of the best in the ring right here. So uh, it's going to be well worth the moment spent. I kind of get tempted to lock up. Uh, there we go. There it is. Oh, big slap by Perfect. Oh, another one. Oh, man. Perfect's like, bring it. Rick Rick liked all that. Loved the chops, the slaps. Because, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the sound of it was pretty uh, intimidating. Look, at Rick is in good shape here. I actually see uh, some of that six-pack going. You didn't see that very often in his career. But here he looks great. Oh, drop toe hold. Oh, and another slap takes Ric Flair off his feet. Yeah. And perfect, looking pretty good here. Pretty light on his feet, wouldn't you say? Somebody who hadn't been performing very often in the ring. As we said, we're coming off uh, the Royal Rumble. 93 which had taken place. Remember we told you at the beginning of this, they actually taped this the 18th. So they're talking about something that was going to happen a week later. Heenan, a little sleight of hand there. What's What, what did he put away? Hmm. Did he slip him something? What's going on? Oh, there you go. So they're going to lock up again. And reverse. Oh, man. Flair with his own drop. Toe hold and a reversal by Mr. Perfect. These guys really know how to handle themselves in the ring. Oh, boy, big shot to the head there as Vince really sold it. Oh, here we go. All right, here comes the chops. Rick loved him. And the standing fall. And Bartlett, you could tell at that point, he wasn't used to seeing that move by Rick, which was a signature Fall down. As the uh, match continues on. These guys had come backstage, man. You see these giant welts they'd have on their chests from all those chops. But it was kind of a test of your manliness in a way. How much you could take. So as I mentioned at the top, you know, that uh, apparently, and thanks to David Porty for his, uh, his, his notes that he sent on this broadcast, that, that Vince and, uh, and Flair had an agreement that if uh, there was some, you know, that he would have an out, basically. Not, it wasn't the unhappy clause or whatever you want to call it, but he had an out that if he wanted to leave, he could. And I think that if, you know, if it were a big time in the favor of Vince, if he thought that he was 
you know, worth fighting to have him stick around, then he probably would have made it a lot more difficult for Rick to leave. But as I talked about before, and more chops. Ooh, shot to the chin. Wow, one after another. And, you know, he's basically on a job on this one for for perfect, but Rick was a true professional man, and when it uh, came down to doing what he had to do, he did it. And uh, so, as I was uh, mentioning, that um, Vince was starting to phase out some of these guys had been around a while. Randy was not happy in his role, and uh, he also didn't like the fact that when I mean, he didn't, didn't, but he didn't like the fact that they would, uh, you know, have him come in when somebody would go down and they needed somebody. Uh, Hebner makes Hebner makes a save there with a the chair. Oh, wow! Hebner even gets a shot in as he heads out. As we go to commercial, as this battle continues, and they were out of the ring before when we left for that break. They come back; they're inside the ring going at it. But uh, as I was saying that Randy wasn't happy because Vince was phasing him out, but whenever they needed a big talent to save them, oh, what a move by Perfect. Goes up over the top rope, falls over backwards, and then grabs the post as he's going down. I mean, what a that was a great bump. He was so good. Flair had a move like that too, but he didn't uh, grab the post. He would go flying up around and then end up on the side uh, of the apron there and then top line to the floor. But Flair was in the same uh, role. You know, I think uh, he was in his early 40s, but he back then, you know, for to Vince, that was, that was old. And uh, didn't see that the, the, the box office that uh, Rick still had. And uh, they wanted him back at WCW, and they made it worth his while. And boy, could Kurt sell. Sends him hard into the corner and does a complete flip out of there. And look, so he hit his, his head on that ring post. He's taken a take, took the blade there, and he's got some juice. And uh, he's got a uh, little juice on him, but... Uh, Didn't see this very often. They wouldn't allow much juice. And a lot of times the guys might do it. You heard Bret Hart tell the stories of, you know, when it came down to it, whether Vince wanted them to or not, and they were good enough to make it happen, to make it look like it was a shoot that it happened. Look at these shots, though, that, that uh, Kurt was great at throwing those haymakers and, the, and, and making them look like they connected and took your head off and, course flair just great at what he did too flip over here's a cover and rick kicks out you have to wonder at this point is uh, how much of that uh, fatigue on on kurt's part was a shoot and how much he's selling here because he said he hadn't had a lot of appearances in the ring and this matchup remember is uh Loser leaves the WWF. So 
You know, and I think a lot of people maybe going into this, uh, there had been uh, rumors about what was going on with Kurt, and maybe people a lot of thought maybe this was the way for uh, for for Perfect to step aside for a while. But that wasn't the way it was going to turn out. Flair and Big got height on that. And begging for mercy. Yeah. A good matchup, man, for uh, Monday Night Raw. Yeah. See those? Another big right from Mr. Perfect. Flair begging for mercy. We're going to get a count here? Think we'll get a count? There we go. There we go. Look how look at these. These these are good shots, man. The way they uh and, and Bobby screaming, it's a closed fist. And man, Hennig could do it. Tries to roll up perfect. No, perfect kicks out the last second. And uh, yeah, this is a this was a long match for Monday Night Raw. I think they go a full eighteen for those uh, keeping track at home before it's over. Oh, another chop! Oh man. Goes in for a cover. Bobby worried it's going to happen. No, not yet. <laughs> uh, the ratings at this point, and you would have thought it would have been a bigger um, number coming off the Royal Rumble. Uh, you're talking about one day. I mean, that happened that Sunday, and then this is this aired on the 25th, which was the day after. And I think that this one got uh, somewhere, I think, like a 2. I think it was a 2-6 or something. The week before, they got in a 2-8 with a match uh, with Flair and Tito Santana. That had, I'm not, not saying that that was the, the reason, the whole reason. But you would have thought that coming off the Royal Rumble, this would have been a bigger number, but uh, didn't. Especially when you got these two guys in this main event here. And he's putting the sleeper on. He's got, uh, oh, no, not quite. That wasn't it. Not three. So it's uh, interesting that uh, that's what kind of audience they got for this because it was it was really, I, I was, when I read that, I was really surprised. And this is when, you know, cable ratings were, you know, uh, WWE could pretty much count on numbers like threes and, you know. And these this was close, but like I said, it was coming off a of pay-per-view. You would have thought it would have been much bigger. All right, so as this keeps going on, and, you know, I love watching these old matches because these days you couldn't, you couldn't do holds like these that, uh, today. You couldn't do holds like these where they just on the ground and 
you know, people want you to move, move, and uh, have more action and more high spots. Well, there was a lot more storytelling going on, and people were, uh, attention span was a lot uh, more patient, I guess I should say. So it goes on. But they held this audience throughout. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, this is what it's on here. This uh, Monday Night Raw drew a 2.6 rating uh, because, uh, and it was the first day after that pay-per-view and the rating had dipped from 2.8. That's, uh, that's what it was in Flair and Santana had gone at it the week before. Tries to lock in the figure four, and he's uh, you know right in the center of the ring. But of course, Flair has to try and get some leverage. Has to cheat. Hebner, of course, has his back turned to all this as the crowd tries to alert him. And I mentioned this before, too, when we uh, were starting to get into this. Uh, you know, this was one of the shows that uh, shows that you could get these main event type matches on television. You could actually watch them. And, and of course, Saturday Night Main Event had that. They would put some, you know, superstars against other superstars. But this was a match that, you know, had some meat to it. It lasted uh, a lot longer than most matches you saw on television. But you had two of the biggest stars of the day then. I mean, with between Perfect and Flair, I mean, and among the best. Oh, and now it's uh, it's Flair's turn to return some of those chops. And Perfect down and gets up as uh, Flair. Goes up to the top turnbuckle. Gets tossed all the way across the ring. And now Perfect's got uh, a bad leg as they take another break. So that entire break they had to do, they would do real-time breaks. And uh, so Flyer probably crawled around the ring for two minutes and and, uh, Perfect (laughs) got the bad leg and uh uh-oh. Oh, something out of the the knee pad. Unbeknownst by uh, Mr. Hebner. Why in the world? They just knocked him out cold. And uh, Flair going in for... Drops the elbow. Going to go for a cover, but you've got Perfect's leg up on the rope. This is what will save him. And you hear Vince, you know, which is interesting, rooting, basically, telling him the foot, the foot, like yelling to Hebner to see it. As Flair pounds away with those shots to the forehead. Vince, once again, 
Bartlett, uh, very content to just let them do what they do. <laughs> he didn't know what to say. Vince finally invites him into the conversation. Oh. Oh, boy. Oh, more chops. Uh-oh. Perfect's had it. Coming back, he's got the bad left leg. The knee's been pounded. He's got those Charlie horses that uh, Flair had driven the knee into his quads. And Flair loved those chops. Nobody took him better. Oh. Clothesline to the top of the head. See, now this, there it is. And then... (laughs) I love the way Flair took those ropes. So this was a pretty good match. And I always loved, I mean, I, you know, you guys heard me talk about Kurt. I loved ring, uh, Kurt in the ring anytime. Flair, of course, cheating. Got the foot up on the rope and uh, Hebner sees it, kicks it off. Perfect rolls him up. Oh, that could have been it. Not yet. Now he does it here, locks it in. Great finish. Flare off the ropes. Perfect wraps him up. And see, the way they were going to explain this then in the end... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he said they had the beep, beep, beep. As Bobby uh, was supposedly let go a rant of expletives because he's so pissed that Perfect pulled this out and now Ric Flair must lead the, leave the WWF. And so, uh, as they were going to explain this, of course, uh, you know, that with uh, David's notes here talking about how, you know, this is the way they would explain this, that, you know, Flair had no choice. He lost the match to Mr. Perfect. He made the agreement that he would leave the World Wrestling Federation. So, what else could the man do? He had to be able to make a living, so that's why he ended up back at uh, WCW. But as we talked about before, uh Rick not so happy at the uh, WWF and wanted to leave. And here's a, here's a commercial spot that they it was part of the WWF at the time. This is great. WWF mania. Which was a very popular show for a while, WWF mania. That's right, Todd Pettengill. All right, so quick time out there after that uh, commercial. As Vince talks about how Ric Flair will now leave the WWF after, of course, he doesn't mention it, but he has some dates he must honor. Oh, Doink the Clown, who was always one of my favorites. At least the original one. 
All right, now come on. That was a good show. Didn't you guys enjoy that one? I certainly did. That was great. I really, really uh, enjoyed that episode of Raw. I love those early episodes of Raw because they were still trying to figure it all out, what they wanted to do with the show. And, uh, you know, Randy Savage, of course, uh, part of that uh, announced team that week, he wasn't because he was involved with that matchup with um, Repo Man. And then, of course, they wanted to bring Bobby in because of the whole issue with Ric Flair and um, and Mr. Perfect in that match we saw as it all wrapped up. But, you know, that was um, uh, a great show. I think that they they uh, threw a lot of stuff in there. They had those, uh, you know, some good matches that, uh, you know, when any time you got to see Randy uh, in the ring, that was fantastic. And uh, Repo Man, even though that gimmick was kind of lame, uh, but Barry Darso was a, a great worker. So, um, you know, people that appreciated professional wrestling, you know, had to appreciate that match because you had two guys that were really good. And they, they did give him some time for that. That match went uh, like 1230, I think it did. And uh, kind of a, a lame reason. I mean, it was all over a freaking cowboy hat. But, you know, um, back then <laughs> things started to get a little thin. Uh, but, uh, you know, not bad. I mean, it was a good match, uh, especially with those two. Then and Randy got his hat back. It, it got uh, back in the closet with the other spandex, uh, different colors of lime, orange, uh, anything else that you could uh, see from space when he had it on. And, and of course, the uh, the bangles and the tassels and the hats and but and the cowboy boots. But he knew how to do it, man, and he uh, he invested in it, and uh, it definitely worked. I mean, there were some nights Randy would come out, he'd have, uh, you know, maybe three or four outfits in one evening, uh, what he would wear for whatever he was doing. So that was, uh, you know, that was fun to watch. And anytime, you know, anytime I could see Randy Savage, I'm in. Uh, that Kamala match, you know, this was uh, it's fun to look back on this stuff because you saw, as I mentioned, things were changing, and Kamala. Uh, prior to that was with Harvey Whippleman and Kim Chi. And, uh, of course, it gets to the point like where they're just abusing him and then Slick steps in and saves him. And he's newfound and he's supposed to uh, be this baby face. Well, I, you know, that, that, that character really was only going to work as a heel, uh, with, I mean, especially with the people around him. And then when they made him a baby face, it was like, eh, not so much. I don't think so. But uh, of course, the the big the big match for this one though was the Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect, and uh, good good insight you know to find out what was going on behind the scenes there, that uh, you know, uh, Mr. Perfect back of the ring facing Ric Flair who uh, would would uh, return to the WWF. I don't think he'd be back till two thousand and one, so it was uh, would be a number of years before they'd see him again. But it's funny to think that at 43, Vince thought, oh, this is, he's done, you know, it's uh, just going to be downhill. He even says that line in the, in the, at the end of the show saying it's downhill from here for, for Ric Flair. <laughs> but, uh, as we know, he had a lot left in the tank and uh, he would be a big part of what uh, would go on to be those uh, 83 weeks with the WCW and what they did to uh, trounce the WWF, at least for a while, uh, WWE, I should say. But, uh, and even Heenan would end up going down there. And it's just, 
you know, is the uh, the lead into when things really, really changed in the world of professional wrestling, and it all ended up for the good. But at the time, man, uh, boy, it just everything was upside down. Uh, people that had been loyal and had uh, spent a vast majority of their careers with the WWF now were going to be going down south and working for the competitor, which was unheard of, you know. But uh, they all made a lot of money, and it ended up being great for the talent because now today we see they all have contracts. They all have a piece of the merchandise. They have, uh, you know, a big say in what goes on in their career. And uh, now we've got what's happening today with these other organizations. But uh, uh, it's uh, really come around that, you know, you can, uh, if you're among the, the elite in the world of professional wrestling, you can make a damn good living. So uh, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I did. I love doing the, the Raws, and we'll do a lot more of them if you guys would like uh, to hear them. I'll keep them coming. Uh, I love doing the, uh, the Superstars ones because we get to see a lot of, this, a lot of the guys. And uh, it may, may not be the greatest matches you get to see, but you really get to see the promotional tool, uh, uh, the, the, the genius of the promotional tools that the WWF used back then. Uh, because the big drive at that point was to get people to visit these arenas. That's what everything was about. Every, they made the, the money, uh, at least to pay their talent, through these gates at the house shows. And that has certainly changed now uh, with these gigantic television contracts. But back then, that's, that's the way it worked. And all this, uh, the uh, Superstar Show, the Ch- uh, Wrestling Challenge Show... They were all syndicated. Um, these stations basically paid Vince, in, in reality, to uh, to be on their stations, and they would get commercial time in there, so that's how they made their money from that. But then uh, the WWF, WWE, also realized that they could get these sponsors in uh, who would have their own spots, and they could make those spots right in show. They didn't have to wait for a commercial break. They could They could plug stuff right in the program which they did very effectively, and that just uh, went from there. But at this point in time, they were still trying to get people to go to the house shows. And that's when I went prior to my departure. I was still plugging, you know, 90-plus different event or, or uh, you know, markets where these shows were headed. You know, they wouldn't have necessarily 90 shows going on at the same time, but they would. I'd be plugging that many shows and uh, wow, that that was a lot of work, and it just shows you what they were doing at the time. Uh, their whole focus w- would change in the coming years, but uh, at that point, that's what they did. So there you have it. That was uh, WWF Monday Night Raw, January twenty fifth, nineteen ninety three. Uh, my thanks again to uh, blogofdoom.com, dot uh, com, prowrestling dot net. Also, and uh, Dave Porty, who uh, really surpri- uh, supplied some great insight, and I um, hope he keeps that stuff coming because I think it gives you some real great background uh, for me and uh, all of our listeners. A-, a lot of this stuff comes back to me, but heck, I didn't. Uh, a lot of the, uh, these details are just amazing that they come up with. Uh, you know, everything from who uh, Flair would face beyond this, uh, going to the WCW. Um, you know, where Rick was at in his career at the time. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, Rick didn't really know what was up for him ahead. Uh, maybe he was starting to feel that, you know, that uh, 
his career was on the, the on the way down, but uh, that certainly wouldn't be the case. And jeez, uh, I mean, <laughs> he kept, he work he would work another couple decades uh, pretty much full time. So uh, it was uh, great to see. And then uh, of course Randy Savage too. Uh, left the WWF and went down south to WCW, became a part of that, and, of course, Hulk Hogan and the rest of them, as we saw what would happen uh, in the Monday Night Wars. So that's uh, the way it was back then in 1993. I hope you enjoyed this one, guys. Uh, please stay tuned for everything we got coming your way with uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney. we got a full week, every week, new content. Mondays, we have these network classics coming your way. They drop at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Then, of course, every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, a brand-new episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney and one of the uh, personalities from the past, uh, the glory days and beyond. And as I mentioned, I wanted to uh, do a series of interviews with uh, some of the new uh, talent. That's uh, not, They're not necessarily new. Nick Aldis certainly isn't new. But uh, part of this new... Uh, wave of uh, uh, resurgence we were seeing that, uh, you know, with uh, them going back to NWA, uh, Billy Corgan's organization going back to studio shows. And I don't know if you've watched it, but it's fun to watch. And uh, I've got an interview coming up with with Nick Aldis. I just did. And uh, man, I, I just I love chatting with him because he loves the history of professional wrestling. He loves what he's doing. Uh, he's very old school in a lot of ways, and he's really excited about what they're doing. And uh, so we're going to get a few of those guys on it. And another, uh, we'll keep uh, going with uh, uh, our guests from the 80s and 90s. But uh, I think everybody loves hearing from these other uh, people and uh, the, the impact a lot of these guys that we, uh, that, that I worked with and people that you loved watching back then and, and uh, their influence is still being you know, uh, felt today. And uh, when you hear that interview, I think you'll agree with me. Um, and then also uh, every Saturday we release vault episodes. So, uh, you know, something, you know, of course, you could go back in the library and get these, but uh, we like to uh, uh, you know, profile one of the episodes every week. Maybe it's an episode you hadn't thought about listening to, and uh, that has been really popular. So we'll keep doing that. That happens every Saturday morning at 6 a.m., and uh, as I mentioned, uh, please, 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 please uh, check out the new YouTube channel that we've put up uh, with all this content uh, that we have and uh, some video stuff that we have. We don't really uh, have places to put it up. Uh, we're going to start putting that up on there. Uh, the YouTube channel, just go to YouTube and search Primetime Mooney and subscribe uh, to that. Uh, we'd love to have you have you become a Patreon member. Uh, we have, uh, you know, content that you can see there that nobody else gets to see. Uh, you can uh, go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney to check that out. Uh, membership includes uh, getting the episodes early and ad-free, completely ad-free. And also, if you, uh, you know, are a member that uh, is one of the upper tiers, like a Mooney or a Legion of Who member, you get to submit questions for all of our guests and I ask them all and I tell our guests who's asking them and we put them up exclusively on a Patreon. Also, um, we got the Ask Mooney Anything. We got one out this week with some of the questions you guys submitted. So uh, you can check that out. And then also, if you're a Legion of Who member, you get your very own podcast with me uh, after you've been with us a while. And then after you've been with us a year, you get your own watch along. So... Uh, check out our Patreon membership at patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. 
I think that's about it. Uh, but uh, stay tuned. There's still more on the way. And thanks again for listening. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. Music